All right, good evening and welcome to Bible Baptist Church online and in person tonight. We have some people here watching tonight and also want to welcome you who are joining us online. Uh, we're excited for our service and we're going to be continuing our series uh, through the book of 1 John this evening. I want to say thank you to Pastor Yeomans for the opportunity to preach tonight. And uh, last week, Pastor Yeomans talked about love and the origin of love, that God is love, and that uh, if we love, we are in God. And we're going to continue looking at our series uh, this evening. And so let's read in 1 John. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up. 1 John chapter number 4, and we're going to begin reading in verse number 12 tonight. That's where Pastor Yeomans left off, 1 John chapter 4. Before I read, I want to uh, share some good news before I forget. For those of you who have been praying for Chelsea and Kyle Ford and little Hudson, they got to go home from the hospital today, and so we're praising the Lord for that. Continue to pray for them and encourage them, but we're praising the Lord for that. All right, 1 John chapter number 4, begin reading in verse number 12. The Bible says this, No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us, because he hath given us of his spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in, God, in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. And lastly, let's read verse 19. We love him because he first loved us. Let's pray, and we'll jump into our lesson tonight. Father, thank you so much for this text, and thank you for the book of 1 John. I pray that you'd help it to uh, come alive tonight, that you would speak to our hearts and for those who are here tonight and those who are watching online, that we would learn something from your word, that our time together would not be vain, but that we would use it and to be more like you, to be a greater testimony for you, and that you would uh, allow us to experience um, peace and assurance because of this message and to better understand uh, who you are and our relationship with you, and we'll thank you for it. We truly do love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, you know, at the church I work, and alone I work primarily with the youth and youth ministry, um, and one of the things I think we've seen uh, teenagers struggle with the most in the last couple of years is assurance of their salvation. Oftentimes they struggle with uh, assurance of their salvation and knowing for sure uh, that they're saved. I think it's a common thing uh, for young people as they're kind of figuring life out and going through those transition years. I also think it's a common thing uh, for people who grew up specifically in Christian homes, and that might seem strange. Um, because there's a lot of benefits and it's a great blessing to grow up in a Christian home. But uh, oftentimes when you grow up in a Christian home, you're brought to church at a young age and you're, uh, sur you're presented with the gospel at a young age and you have a great understanding. And oftentimes you, you get saved at a younger age, which is a great thing. Um, but what happens is you start to see other people who get saved and have this dramatic uh, transformation when they get saved. This 180 degree turn where they turn from a life of sin and a life of uh, rebellion to a life of serving Christ. And when you're a young kid and you get saved at five or six, you just don't experience the same kind of life-changing uh, turnaround, this 180. You still disobey your parents and you still do the same things wrong. And I think sometimes as you get into those teenage years, we see teenagers who are honestly at the, they are starting to see that there's a world of people who disagree with what they believe and what they've been taught. And they're also probably for the first time in many ways 
testing the waters in some sort of areas of rebellion. And perhaps they even find that they're uh, drawing further away from God as opposed to closer to God. And they begin to experience these doubts. If I am saved and if I'm truly saved, then uh, why am I sinning or why do I feel this way or why don't I feel the assurance of my salvation? How do I know I truly am saved? And if I'm still struggling with my sin, am I truly saved? And how come I haven't seen this radical change like other people in our church? And that can be a real, uh, a real hang-up for, for teenagers. They ask these questions. Am I saved? If I am, how can I know for sure? And why don't I always feel saved? And you know, Pastor Yeomans has titled this series, and I think it's a great title, Knowing God. But if I could give it a bit of a different title tonight, just to work for this message, I believe that First John is all about knowing God, but I believe it's about knowing that we know God. First John is all about assurance. He was written to us that we may know God, but also that we may know that we know God. It was written to us that we might be sure. And I want to give you some verses tonight, just kind of introductory, to prove this point to you. First John chapter 2 and verse 3. The Bible says this, And hereby we do know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. 1 John 2, 5, Hereby know we that we are in him. 1 John 3, 14, We know that we have passed from death unto life, because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. 1 John 3, 19, And hereby we know that we are of the truth, and shall assure our hearts before him. 1 John 3, 24, And hereby we know that he abideth in us. And then this is, I think, probably one of the key verses, or even what I would consider the theme verse of 1 John, is 1 John 5, 13. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. So clearly, John cares a lot about us knowing that we know God. He wants us to have assurance. And I believe every believer can live in assurance of their salvation. I think people all over the world struggle with doubts. They struggle with insecurities, uncertainties. But I don't believe our relationship with Christ, our salvation is something that God wants us to struggle with and doubt about. God wants us to know for sure. He wants us to have assurance of our salvation. And John over and over and over again is saying, I'm writing these things to you so that you know that you know. Without a shadow of a doubt, you can prove it and see for sure that you are a child of God. And we've seen that we ought to try the spirits and we ought to um, look for evidence of uh, true salvation in other people's lives. But at the end of the day, we only know what our heart is like. We only know between us and God. And so uh, let's remind ourselves tonight as we get, fo- as we get started that this is not about judging other people and saying, well, they're not truly a Christian or they, they must not be a child of God because of this behavior or because of this attitude. But John is saying, no, 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 you should be concerned about your own salvation, have assurance of your own relationship with Christ. And tonight I want to look at just three points that can help us to have assurance in Christ. We don't have to f- experience these doubts. We don't have to experience these uncertainties. We can know that we know Christ. And so let's look, number one tonight, at this first point. We have assurance in the Spirit's production. Assurance in the Spirit's production. Verse number 12, uh, which is the first verse we read tonight, uh, John makes it very clear, no man has seen God at any time. And so it kind of raises a question in my mind, if no one has ever seen God, how can we know that we know it's God? Uh, you think about the world that we live in, oftentimes if you're going to get maybe some paperwork signed or, or any sort of official document, you have to provide a photo ID. I kind of ran into some, some trouble because oftentimes you'll use like a driver's license or a passport or things like that. Well, I got a passport when I was 17. I got a five-year passport. 
I'll tell you what, I changed a lot between 17 and 23. And so at 23, I'd show my passport and they'd be doing a double take like, I don't think this is you. I grew a beard. I just, I look a lot different. I was a boy and then I was a man. And that, but that's the proof. That shows, you know, this is, the, you see a photo of that. Oh no, that's Levi. We know it. It's, it's the proof. It's the photo ID. But John is saying, no man has seen God at any time. So how can we know that we know that it's God? And verse 13 gives us that answer. Hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us because he hath given us of his spirit. And so uh, John is saying the way we know that we are in God and that God is in us is because he's given us of his spirit. We have the Holy Spirit. We see in the book of Titus that the Holy Spirit actually plays a, a, a huge part in our salvation. In the moment we trust in Christ, the Holy Spirit plays a huge part. Titus 3.5 teaches us this, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. The moment we get saved, it's the work of the Holy Spirit in our life that renews us, that quickens us, that brings us back to life. Ephesians 2 tells us that we were dead in our trespasses and sin, but God quickened us and made us alive again. That's the new life, that's new birth in Christ. But 1 Corinthians 3 also teaches us that not only did the Holy Spirit renew us, but also at the moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit comes to indwell within us. He lives within us. He makes our heart his home. 1 Corinthians 3.16, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. And so we have evidence of the Spirit in our life when we are truly in Christ and he is in us. And now we're thinking, well, Pastor Levi, you said that we know man has ever seen God, and so now we've proven a God that we cannot see with a spirit that we cannot see. That doesn't seem like a very good evidence. Uh, the Holy Spirit, again, is not something that we see physically. Um, it's like the wind. You don't see it, but you see the effects of it. And that's why we have assurance, not just in the Spirit, but we have assurance in the Spirit's production. How do we see the effects of the Spirit in our life? Galatians chapter 5 teaches us about the fruit of the Spirit. I love that the Bible uses the word fruit because fruit is the production of a living thing. How do you know that a tree is alive? It's because it's producing fruit. It's an evidence that there's life and that it's producing and then it's alive. In fact, when we go to the grocery store, when we want to get our fruits and vegetables, we go to the produce section. It's producing a fruit that's alive. And so the Holy Spirit produces evidences and it produces fruit in our life to prove that we are in Christ and that he dwells in us. The fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5 and verse 22 says this, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. I love that the very first evidence of the very first fruit that's mentioned is love. And 1 John is all about love. This chapter, we've learned that God is love and that love is of God. And, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. So the very first and the most important evidence, fruit in our life that we can say God is in us, we are in God, and we can see his evidence in our life is that we love. It ties in so well with the rest of 1 John, even back in verses 11 of 12 in this chapter. Verse 11 says this, Beloved, if God loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. We demonstrate and produce the fruit of the love of God that is in us when we love others. It's like what it says in verse number 16. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and then he that dwelleth in love 
dwelleth in God and God in him. When we walk in the spirit, when we dwell in God, when we abide and we walk in the spirit, we abide in love, both in love for God, understanding God's love for us and love for others because God is love. John MacArthur uh, was talking about this idea that our behavior and our actions are are proof of our salvation and the Spirit's uh, working in our life. And he said this, he said, really it breaks down to these two, obedience to the word of God and love for the Lord and his people. He said, here's an evidence that you have the Spirit and the fruits of the Spirit working in your life, that God is love and he dwells in you and he's producing life out of you, that you love and obey God's word, that you love God and you love the people that he loves. You have a love for the brethren. First John teaches us, how can you say uh, that you love God when you love not the brethren? If you hate your brother, how dwelleth the love of God in you? Naturally, if God's love is in us, then we will love our brother and our sister. The Bible teaches us in John chapter 13, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. And so tonight, do you want to be assured, confident, completely uh, positive that you are in Christ, that you're saved and that he is in you, look in your life. Again, this is self-evaluation for evidence of the Spirit. Look for the fruits in your life. Do you love God and desire to know and love him more? Do you love God's word and desire to obey it? Do you love and desire to demonstrate love to your brother? Do you hate your sin and does it grieve you when we do sin? Do you daily struggle and fight to have victory over your flesh and to walk in the Spirit? Do you demonstrate humility, sacrificially putting others and the needs of others before your own? Do you exercise self-control? Do you demonstrate gentleness and meekness to all and in all situations? Do you experience the peace of God in your heart, even in the midst of uncertain and crazy and difficult times, much like we're living in today? Now, I'm not saying, are you perfect tonight? But I'm saying, are you moving in that direction? Do you feel the Spirit pushing you to love your brother? Do you feel uh, your desire to, to do what's right and to live righteously and to hate sin and hide from sin, to not be stuck in the habitual pattern of sin? Do you have self-control over your life? Do you temperate and meekness and gentleness? Not are you perfect, but do you see the evidences of a living Spirit of God in your life? Because what's alive always produces And if the Spirit is alive in us, we will see his production in our life. And so we can be assured by the Spirit's production. But number two, I want you to notice tonight that we have assurance in a scriptural profession. So number one, in the Spirit's production. Number two, in a scriptural profession. Look at verse number 14 with me. The Bible says this, And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God... God dwelleth in him, and he in God. Now notice verse number 14, how it starts off. John says this, We have seen and do testify. And now John uses the word we, and he's talking about uh, the people, I'm assuming it sounds like from the way he's writing, him and the people he's writing to. We have seen and do testify. But it's important for us to understand that John is writing this to a group of New Testament believers. Yes, it is to us as well, but his primary audience was to New Testament believers. And if we're going to understand Scripture in context, we must understand who's writing it and to whom it's written to, and what's the circumstances around, the time period around when it was written. I don't believe, well, let me say this first. We can see and testify 
that God loves us. Just like John says, we have seen and testified that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. We, in some ways, can see and testify that God uh, sent Jesus, his Son, to be the Savior of the world. But I don't believe that we can really wrap ourselves into this truth the way that John was writing it or intending it to be written and understood. When he's saying we have seen and do testify, I believe that this is a reference to John as the Apostle John, his apostolic ministry. And what that means is that he was an eyewitness to the life and the ministry of Christ. It's one of the major, the major qualification for an apostle is that they were an eyewitness testimony to the ministry of Christ. He lived and breathed and walked with Jesus. He saw him heal people. He saw uh, the lame walk in the, in the blind sea, and he saw people raised to life, and he watched how Jesus lived and loved and ministered. He watched that. He always reminds us that he is the apostle, the disciple whom Jesus loved, the disciple who laid his head on Jesus' breast. He always likes to remind us of how close he and Jesus were. But he's referring to his apostolic ministry. He says, we have seen and do testify. John saw firsthand with his own eyes that God the Father sent his son to be a sinless, perfect sacrifice and be the savior of the world. Now that's an amazing privilege. He, he's kind of claiming uh, like a courtroom testimony. You know, in the courtroom, uh, you have uh, eyewitness testimonies. You're called as a witness to the stand. You usually put your hand on the Bible and you swear that you'll tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth. So help me God. And if, if someone's building a case against you or for, for you, you'd hope that there would be uh, credible eyewitness accounts that can back your side of the story because they give validity to the truth of what happened. And that's what John's saying. He's saying, I was an eyewitness testimony. I saw it happen. I saw it with my own eyes. My apostolic ministry says, I saw and I'm testifying that Jesus is the Son of God who came down to be the Savior of the world. He's giving us a personal gospel testimony of what he saw and experienced. And that's amazing. But unfortunately, you and I today cannot give that same personal eyewitness testimony to the physical ministry of Christ. But look at verse 15 with me. I'm not an apostle, and neither are you, but verse 15 says, whosoever. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm whosoever. I can fit in in whosoever. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. He's saying, you want to know if you're saved and that God is in you and that you dwell in God? It's the same confession, the same testimony that John the Apostle had. Whosoever it says it and confesses it, that Jesus is the Son of God, the Savior of the world. I don't have an eyewitness account, but I do have the same testimony and the same scriptural profession as the Apostle John. Jesus is the Son of God, and he's the Savior of the world. You see, that saving testimony is a great assurance to us. Our profession is based on faith in the scriptures, which are reliably based on the God-breathed authority and eyewitness testimony of the authors of scripture. That's what 1 Corinthians 15, when Paul is giving us probably the most clear definition of the gospel in the Bible, 1 Corinthians 15, he says that he, he, he died, he was buried, and then he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. 
And that's what we believe. That's how we can have faith. And that's how we understand the gospel is according to the scriptures. And if we base our faith on the scriptures, though we don't have that eyewitness testimony that John has, we have the same scriptural profession, the same confession, the same testimony that Jesus is sent from heaven. He is God's son and he is the savior of the world. He's not just the savior of the world, but he's my savior who died for my sins. And I have assurance in the fact that the same salvation testimony I have is the same salvation testimony that the apostle John has had. And all throughout history and all throughout the Christian tradition, we see that we have had the same true understanding of the gospel and the saving faith. It's not just one eyewitness testimony, but the consistency of all the authors of scripture as God breathed through them and, and they used them to pen the scriptures. I think of 1 Peter chapter 1. The Bible says this. I'm going to read a few verses for you. 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 16. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven, we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. Peter's saying, hey, I was there on that mount of transfiguration. I heard as God said, this is my beloved son. I saw it with my own eyes. But look what he says in verse 19. We have also a more sure word of prophecy. Whereunto ye do well that ye take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved of the Holy Ghost. Peter's saying, I have that same eyewitness testimony, but I have something even greater, a more sure word of prophecy. And it's that same scriptures that we have today, the more sure word. It's even greater and of more value and more validity than an eyewitness testimony because there's no private interpretation. It's not Peter saw this and John saw this. No, we have a, a standard, a sure word, a place that we can rest our faith upon. The Bible is our sole authority for faith and practice. And guys, our faith has a strong foundation, a more sure word of prophecy. And the scriptural profession that John is making is the same scriptural profession that we make. And it's what gives us assurance of our salvation that we know and understand and have received the gospel, that God is in us and that we are in him. Because whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him and he in God. So you want to be assured of your salvation. Number one, we see the Spirit's production. Number two, we see a scriptural profession but lastly, I want us to notice this evening, we have assurance in a saving perfection. A saving perfection. Let's look at verse number 17. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness as in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. We see the assurance of a saving perfection. You know, the Bible uses that word perfect a couple times here in the text. And uh, the Bible doesn't use the word perfect the way we would use the word perfect. When I think of perfect, I think of um, maybe somebody doing a test or a project and handing it in and getting uh, 100, 100 out of 100, a perfect score. It means uh, you couldn't have done anything better. There was no room to approve upon it. But the Bible uses the word perfect and, and more so it means complete. 
It's finished, it's whole, it's complete, it's made perfect. And so the question is, what does perfect love look like? Seven, uh, verse 17 says, perfect love casteth out fear. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear. So what does perfect love look like? What is this love that we can know and experience that casteth out fear? We know the Bible talks about the fact that the greatest demonstration of love is that a man would lay down his life for his friends. And Jesus not only laid down his life for his friends, but he laid down his life for his enemy. You know, peradventure would a, a, good, man, a, a good man die, but he, he laid down his life for everyone, for his friends, for his enemies. But while we were yet sinners, still in our sin, Christ died for us. Perfect love, when it is finished, complete, looks like a crucified, resurrected Savior who bore the sins of man to satisfy the wrath of God so we could be restored in our relationship to God. That's what perfect love looks like. And perfect love casteth out fear. Hebrews 10, 14 says, For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. You know, in the Old Testament, we see that the, they had to make offering after offering to make atonement for their sin. They'd make animal and blood sacrifices. And uh, the word atonement has the idea of a covering, just a temporary covering time and time again to uh, pay atonement and cover their sins until there was a final sacrifice. But when Jesus came along, he was the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He didn't have to make it uh, sacrifice after sacrifice and atonement after atonement. No, he made one sacrifice for all sins past, for all sins present, for all sins future. And that one sacrifice is enough to not just atone and cover, but to wash away the sins of the world. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we may be made the righteousness of God in him. That's what perfect love looks like. It looks like a savior who made one sacrifice and by one offering will perfect forever, complete and perfect forever all those who are sanctified, all those who are saved and, and have placed their faith in him. That's what perfect love looks like. And when we experience perfect love, it casts out fear. We hear that verse, I think we use that verse a lot. You know, don't be afraid. Uh, God loves you and perfect love casts out fear. And that's a good verse, but it's important to understand in its context. And here in its context, it's talking about fear, yes, but a specific type of fear. Not just a scared of the dark kind of a fear or, or a fear of the unknown or fear of the future. It's talking about a specific type of fear. Verse number 18 says, uh, sorry, verse number 17 says this, Here is in our love made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. When we accept Christ as our Savior and we accept the sacrifice that he made, his righteousness is placed on our account and God no longer sees our sin, but he looks at us and sees the righteousness of Christ. We are as he was, perfect and sinless in this world. And so we don't have to fear judgment. That's the specific fear that John is talking about. Because when you've experienced perfect, fear, uh, perfect love, you don't have fear of judgment. Our world lives in fear of dying, of death. I've seen so many articles and so many, heard so many people talking about, you know, with, with everything going on, with racial tension, with COVID going on, is this the end times? Is this the end times? Is, is our world drawing to a near, uh, to, to an end? And people are starting to panic and freak out. And, and so many people have no, no peace and no certainty. But the Bible teaches us that if we've experienced perfect love, we have no fear of judgment. 
One day we will all be judged. We will all stand face to face with God. But what an amazing thought to think that we can stand before God with boldness. I'm a sinner Everyone listening tonight is a sinner. We have fallen short. We know that God's standard for uh, holiness, for, for heaven, is perfection, sinless perfection. We should, we deserve to stand before God, shaking in our boots, terrified, about to have to spend eternity to pay for our sins. But because of the love that God has shown to us, we can come boldly before God. We can stand in judgment with boldness. What an amazing thought that we don't have to fear. That's why a church is one of the only places you'll hear people excited about dying. We, I'm serious. We come to church and we sing songs about what's going to happen after we die. Most people never want to talk about it. They don't want to think about it. But we say things like, we love and long and look for and can't wait for his appearing. I'm already over on the other side. We sang it this morning. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. You know who doesn't want and desperately desire for the day that they're going to see Christ? Those who don't have assurance of their salvation. Because there's that doubt, there's that uncertainty. What if? Those who are working their way to heaven, caught in a false understanding of who God is and what it takes to get to heaven, who are trying to work their way and think, hopefully one day I can stand there and I've been a good enough person. Hopefully my right will outweigh my wrong. Hopefully my good will be more than my bad. Hopefully... Uh, the alms and the sacrifices I've made, the money I've given, the prayers I've prayed, hopefully that will be enough to push me over the edge. What a terrifying thought to be standing in front of the God who created the world, standing in front of him, not sure of what the judgment you might face. Now that's not assurance, and that's not what John wants us to experience. But we can one day stand face to face with our Savior face to face with God, whose standard is holiness, knowing that we're sinners, and come before him with boldness because we've experienced the love of Christ. We can say, hey, I know I'm a sinner, but I don't claim, I don't come here in the name of my, of my own strength or my own uh, sufficiency, but I come here claiming the blood of Christ and his righteousness. And when he looks at me, he doesn't see my sin. He sees the perfection, the sinless perfection of Christ. I don't deserve to go to heaven because of anything I've done, but I deserve to go to heaven because of what Christ did, and I'm trusting in him as my savior. There's no fear in that judgment. There's love, because perfect love casteth out fear. And so today, if we're struggling with fear of judgment or fear of death, it's probably because you're struggling with this, uh, this idea of assurance. Perhaps you've never settled, that you've never been saved, you've never turned from trusting in yourself and turned to trusting in the Savior. Perhaps your sins have not been uh, covered and been taken away, and you're not trusting in the righteousness of Christ, and today maybe that's a decision you could make. Or maybe today you just never understood it uh, clearly before that we can have assurance and that the love of Christ gives us boldness in front of judgment. But I hope that you'll understand that tonight. The perfect love cast out fear, because fear hath torment. We don't have to face torment we don't have to pay for our sin anymore because of what Christ has done for us. You know, our society loves uh, award shows, like reality shows. And when I say our society, I, I mean me. I love them too. I like uh, cooking shows. 
where there's judges and you know you have to make your best confection or baked good or meal and they throw in like a secret ingredient and I, I love it all I like uh, I like uh, talent shows those are great like X Factor or America's Got Talent or, or Britain's Got Talent we love it we love to watch other people get judged we love to watch other people face the judges right we don't want to face them ourselves. I don't want my best uh, cake to be put up against the judges, but I love to watch other people's, right? We love in those talent shows to hear that and see the buzzer when people just aren't good enough to make the cut. I want you to think tonight, picture like it's, uh, it's maybe a silly example, but America's got talent and there's a top three and two are going to move on to the next round. And you know, they always do such a good job of making it so suspenseful, right? They dim the lights, and the music's kind of low, and everyone's just suspenseful, and they're waiting for that answer. And the person who's uh, giving the results always takes way too long, right, to announce it. The judges have already made their decision. The votes are all in, and they're going to say the first person who's safe. And they're like, the first person safe is. And they just wait way too long. You're like, come on, just give me the answer. And people are tense, and they're waiting for the judgment, the verdict. Who's going to be safe? And they say that first name, and man, that person who's safe and moving on, their, com- their spirit completely changes from fear and anxiety and uncertainty to joy and peace and relief. But there's still one more person. One person's going to go through, and one person's going to go home. You know what? The judges are about to make the exact same judgment that they already made, but the person who's already through They no longer feel the anxiety. They no longer feel the fear that they literally just felt moments ago because they already know they're safe. They're still about to make a judgment. The judges are still going to send someone home. Someone's going to face, we could call it torment here. But they don't fear it anymore because they know the result. They're already safe. They're already over on the other side. They've made it through. And what a relief to know as a Christian that we can stand before judgment with a relief, with a boldness, with a love, knowing that our citizenship's already in heaven. We're a child of God. We're sure of it because we see the evidence in our life and we've accepted Christ's sacrifice. It's a saving perfection and we can be assured of that. Again, not because of our righteousness or our good works, but because we're trusting in the sacrifice and the sinless perfection of Christ. That he gave his life for us, that he took our place on the cross and shed his blood for us. And so tonight, I hope that you've uh, learned something and understood that John is teaching us and that God is trying to teach us tonight that we can be assured. We don't have to face this world and go through this world with doubts, wondering, am I saved and am I truly a child of God and, and am I going to have a home in heaven? We don't have to face that. We don't have to face the uncertainty. But rather, I really believe the reason that First John is in the Bible is so that we can know. 1 John 5.13, let's read it one more time. I really believe it's the key, and Pastor Yeoman is going to preach on it later, but it's the key to understanding this whole, whole uh, book and this whole chapter. These things have I written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. He wants you to know for sure, without doubt, without uncertainty. And we can be assured tonight, number one, by the Spirit's production. I ask you, do you see the evidence of a living spirit of God in your life, of God's spirit producing fruit of love and meekness and joy and temperance and peace? Do you see a desire to love God and to love the people of God, to love his word and to obey it? That's an assurance to us that we know that we are in God and that he dwells in us. Number two, we can be assured by our scriptural uh, scriptural profession. 
The gospel is not something new. It's not something we've created. It's something that's based on a more sure word of prophecy that's been followed all throughout history, all the way back to the eyewitness testimony of the apostles. We can take assurance and faith and security in the fact that the gospel we know and the gospel we see in the scriptures is the same gospel that John saw right at the time of Christ. And lastly, we can be assured by a saving perfection for the fact that it's not our works, it's not our righteousness, it's not our behavior or our good works or our bad works or our right or our wrong that we have to constantly work to get our way there. We can rest assured in the fact that we can face judgment with boldness because we're trusting in Jesus Christ. And I hope that tonight, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, perhaps you're watching online tonight, you don't know Christ as your Savior. And tonight, even as I'm preaching, you're, you're struggling with this idea of assurance and knowing for sure that you're saved. I hope that you'll reach out to someone. And perhaps you are saved and you know it, but you sometimes struggle with doubt. Perhaps this will be a help to you. And perhaps maybe you know someone who struggles with this. Uh, maybe you could share it with them as well. But this is a great study. And again, I want to thank Pastor Owens for allowing me to, uh, to preach tonight. I've learned a lot from some, my study in First John. It's been a help to me. And I pray that it's been a help to you. Let's pray and we'll finish our service this evening. Father, Thank you so much for this book and these verses, and thank you that you don't leave us to live a life of uncertainty, a life of doubt, a life where we live doing our best and hope that it's good enough. Lord, what a terrible existence that would be. Thank you that you've given us your word, you've given us your spirit, you've given us the gospel, you've given us your son, so that we can know that he dwells in us and that we dwell in him. Thank you for loving us so much and being the perfect demonstration of love that we can face the judgment with boldness and with peace because of what you've done for us, Lord. We're so undeserving, but we thank you so much. Pray this will be a blessing and help help us to live out the peace and the assurance that you give us and may it be a testimony uh, to all those who see us this week. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for joining us tonight and I hope you guys have a great week.